<clears throat> wow. Um, thank you, Teacher Lynn and Monto. You both are an incredible team. And um, so thank you. Um, <clears throat> okay. So for the next six weeks, we are going to be diving into Hebrews 11. Um, if your Bible's in the other room, maybe you can dash to the other room and go and get it. Now, uh, why Hebrews 11? Okay. Well, first of all, I'm convinced that the best way for people to grow spiritually is to receive teaching that goes back and forth from topical to expository, okay? So uh, topical is really good for relevancy, and expository is really good for knowing what the Bible says on its own terms. <clears throat> so it's like, it's like eating a meal, all right? I want you to think about what you had last night for dinner, okay? Did you have a balanced meal last night for dinner, right? You got your veggies, you got your carbs, you got your proteins. I mean, did you eat the meat along with the carrots and the potatoes, right? And you're supposed to because the balanced meal means that you get the nutrition that you need. So expository preaching is like that. If you go through a chapter piece by piece, you're getting the stuff that you like and maybe that you don't like necessarily, but you need all that stuff to grow. So we're going to go through the chapter of, um, of Hebrews 11, and we're going to go through um, all of it for the next six weeks. Okay, now let me explain why of all chapters we're going through Hebrews 11. COVID-19 for a lot of us has been a season of fear. Now, uh, let me show you a picture of me recently as um, I was on my way to um, Costco. Um, there I am. Um, I'm, I'm just kidding. That's not me. But, 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 but honestly, that, that would be me if I had a hazmat suit, you know? So um, for some of us, being sheltered in place for so long has led to depression. One person told me, this person was feeling pretty blue, pretty depressed, and they're saying, you know, right about this time of the year, I would probably be at such and such a place on vacation, and I badly need a vacation that I am not stepping foot out of my house. Another person shared with me that every morning when they wake up, they wake up with like a low-grade pervasive anxiety. It's always there. Um, parents are worried about sending their kids back to school. There are so many circumstances that are just out of our control. And so if there is ever an opportunity to lean into the resources of faith, to lean into the poise and the peace that is afforded to you by faith, now is that time. Now is the time to lean into faith. Okay, let me illustrate this for you in, in a story. Raina has a friend who used to do inner city ministry in a pretty rough part in Los Angeles. His name was Chris. One day, he's sitting with his son in their living room when a random bullet gets fired in their neighborhood and it shatters through their window. Now, the son sees this and is terrified. He's scared to death, rushes over to his father. 
And for the next few days, his son realizes the world is not a safe place, and his son is just terrified. And Chris, his father, says to his son, and I've never forgotten this story. He says to his son, he says, son, you never need to be afraid. You never need to be afraid. Because God has set an exact time when he will take me and you to die and be with him in heaven. And I promise you, we will not go to heaven one second before that time or one second after that time. There is nothing, not a stray bullet, nothing that can keep you from God's plan. Now, when I heard that story, I was like, wow, that is Hebrews 11 kind of faith. That is faith. Now, what Chris did with his son is like what the author of Hebrews is doing with us. He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, church family and friends, wait a minute. What do we really believe? And so just imagine for this whole series, the next six weeks, the author of Hebrews is saying to us, hey, church family, wait a second, wait a second. What do we really believe? That God is eternal, that God is all-powerful, that God is infinitely wise, that Jesus is superior in every way? Great. Now, if you really believe that, then how should we live? And so Hebrews 11 is the turning point from what you believe to how you should live. And that's why I think it's such a great chapter for us to go through. Um, Now, before we dive into this book, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And I want to just say to a quick loving message to my family, which is in the room. I love you all there. Could you please turn the volume down? Because it's, I don't want to hear myself. Okay. <laughs> okay. So um, now you got to remember that before chapter 11 in Hebrews comes chapters 1 through 10. And if you're really going to get the most out of 11, you got to read 1 through 10, which I would recommend that you do in your personal devotions, all right? Now, what I'd like to do in the very first part of this message, because we're still in the the first half, is I'd like to give you an overview of the book. I'd like to give you an overview of 1 through 10. Here's the cliff notes. You all ready? Okay. Well, first of all, the audience is most likely a Jewish Christian audience that the author is writing to. And they're facing persecution persecution and, and imprisonment because of their faith. Now, as a result, some of them are walking away from their faith. The purpose of the book is to say that Jesus is superior in every way. Uh, the main idea of the book, if I can put in three words, is, why don't you say it with me, Jesus is superior. Jesus is superior. Okay. Now, so the author is basically saying, why would you want to go back to to Judaism? Why would you want to walk away when Jesus is superior? Okay. So real quick, chapters one and two, the main idea is Jesus is superior to angels. Okay. Chapters one and two, we're going through real, real quick. Chapters three and four is Jesus is superior to Moses. Jesus is the ultimate mediator. Chapters five, six, seven. Jesus is, can you guess what the next word is? 
superior to temple priests, who, by the way, were morally flawed. Jesus is the ultimate priest. Chapters 8, 9, 10. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is superior to Old Testament animal sacrifice. In every way, Jesus on the cross was the perfect sacrifice. Now, what is the drive of the first 10 chapters of Hebrews? It is to, can I have everyone kind of do this? It is to elevate Jesus as superior. Now, in chapter 11, there's a turning point, okay? It's where the kind of the boat of Hebrews is turning, if you will, where the author is saying, in effect, now that you believe this, now that you believe this, what should you do? How should you respond? How should you live? So Hebrews 11 for our church is like, okay, for everyone who feels afraid, everyone who feels out of control, maybe a little depressed, Imagine the author going, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do we really believe? What do we really believe? God is eternal. God is all-powerful. God is infinitely wise. Christ is superior in every way. And if you really believe that, then how would that make you feel? And what would that cause you to do? So Hebrews 11, we're like working, working, working our faith deep, deep into our life And that's the main idea, and that's the reason why. Church, are you ready to go into verse 1? Hebrews 11, verse 1. Here we go. Now, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Let me hear you all say hoped for. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction. Let me hear you all say conviction. Conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay, two observations. Um, Things hoped for sounds future-oriented. First observation, okay? It sounds future-oriented. You're confident that something good in the future is going to come to pass. Uh, Second observation, things that are not seen seem to be talking about invisible realities, okay? So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, I love what my ESV study Bible um, says in the commentary section on this verse. It says this, faith is a settled confidence that something in the future, something that's not seen yet is what God has promised will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. It's not blind trust. It's not a leap in the dark. It is a confident trust in the eternal God who is all-powerful, infinitely wise, and completely trustworthy. Now, the word here for conviction is a kind of sight. It's like seeing something, but with a a different set of eyes. You're convinced of something because you see it. You are confident about God and his promises because you can see him in a sense. But here's the thing. You don't see him with these eyes. You see them with the eyes of faith. Uh, One of my children asked me, hey, dad, how are we supposed to have a relationship with God if I can't see him? And I said, well, actually, no, you can see him, but not with these eyes. You see him through the eyes of faith. And uh, 
you know, he kind of looked at me like, what are you talking about? You know, um, J.I. Packer, who wrote the classic Knowing God, recently he died. I, I believe he was at the age of 94. And I heard the other day, now get this, I heard that he would spend 30 minutes a day meditating on heaven, 30 minutes a day. And so even though his body was fall, falling apart, like it was riddled with these aches and pains and he was losing abilities, like he couldn't preach anymore or write, he was losing his ability to see. And so he would meditate 30 minutes a day on heaven. Like, what does the scripture say about heaven? You know, at, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And he would think about that. What does that mean? What would that be like? Can I imagine? I can just imagine it, you know? And even though he was losing his abilities, like he was going blind, his faith in the promise of heaven allowed him to see what was right around the corner. And so here he is suffering, but there is this irrepressible joy. You see, faith allows you to see with spiritual eyes, even to the point where what you see through the eyes of faith becomes more real to you than what you can see with these eyes right here. That's what faith is. That's what faith does. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Verse two, for by it, for by what? For by, that is faith, for by faith, the people of old, let me hear you all say people of old. The people of old received their commendation. Okay, now what the author is doing here in this line is he's foreshadowing what is to come with the rest of the chapter. Now, starting from Genesis chapter 4, the author for the rest of the chapter is going to go through all these examples from the Old Testament, examples of these heroes of faith. So let me use this opportunity to kind of tell you what you can expect for the next couple of Sundays, okay? The author says, these people of old, okay? And so next week in verse five, we're going to talk about Enoch, okay? Enoch, who was so close to God that one day he didn't die, God just took him up. So man, shelter in place is an excellent opportunity to develop the intimacy with God through faith. And so we're going to talk about Enoch, um, next week. And we couldn't think of a better person than Caitlin to unpack that for us next week. Now, the week after that, in verse eight, again, people of old, verse eight, um, the author is going to talk about Abraham. Okay. Now, during that time, when we're talking about the example of Abraham. We're also going to be interviewing a young man from our community who is leaving everything behind, kind of like Abraham, out of obedience to God. And we're going to interview this young man and find out what in the world are you thinking? Um, people of old and actually people in our community. So people of old and people of new and all that is coming your way <clears throat> for this series. Now let's go into verse three. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made out of things so what, was, what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Okay. So here is the author giving an illustration of something that we can know by faith, or maybe even only by faith. And so you imagine him, he's like, oh, you know, here's a small example. Let's take the universe, okay? 
The visible universe was not made from visible raw material. The things that you see were made from things that you can't see. God spoke the word of God, and then the universe came into existence. So the author's point here is that this is evident. This is clear through the eyes of faith. Now, let me explain to you what he means by this. Okay. Francis Collins is a famous scientist, and he writes this. When you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. All right. Now, he's, he's, he's talking about religious implications here. Um, it looks as if it knew we were coming. There are 15 constants, the gravitational constant, various constants about the strong and weak nuclear force, etc., that have precise values. If any one of those constants was off by even one part in a million, or in some cases, one part in a million million, the universe could not have actually come to the point where we see it. Matter would not have been able to coalesce. There would have been no galaxy, no stars, planets, or people. Okay? So here's Francis Collins, brilliant scientist, looking at all the, the data and saying there's 15 constants. Some of them, the odds are like one part in a million million. Of course, there are religious implications. Whoa, wait a second. Wait a second. Then you have Richard Dawkins, another famous scientist that says this. Well, there may be trillions of universes. Given the enormous number of universes, it is inevitable that some of them are fine-tuned to sustain our kind of life. That one, that the one that we are in is one. So here we are. Okay, here's my point. Here are two brilliant scientists looking at the same evidence. One says one part in a million million. Of course, there are religious implications. The other one says one part in a million. Well, happen to be maybe trillions of universes. They're looking at the same numbers, the same odds, but coming to radically different conclusions. How is that possible? Well, faith allows you to know with conviction that which cannot be seen by the visible eye. By the way, by the way, it could be argued that to believe in a trillion universes and that we are one part in a million million by sheer coincidence, well, I think that takes even more faith, but that's a whole different sermon, okay? Verse four, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. All right, really quick. Um, Abel raised animals, and Cain was a farmer. They both offered sacrifices, but for some reason, God liked Abel's sacrifice better than Cain's. Now, we're, we were never told in, in Genesis what was wrong with Cain's sacrifice, in a sense, until now. The author of Hebrews is basically saying, you know what was the difference between their two sacrifices? The difference maker was the presence of faith and righteousness. The text says, and through his faith, the author says, he still speaks. 
So the sacrifices in and of themselves, they were probably fine, but the difference maker is that one came with faith and righteousness and the other didn't. Faith is the difference maker. Okay. Those are the first four verses of Hebrews 11. Okay, now let's wrap this up and let's talk about so what? So what? Uh, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So what? All right. Well, uh, I'd like to give you an example of uh, what this all means. And maybe it's an illustration I'm hoping that you can relate to. So what I have in my hand here is a deck of cards right there. Okay. So now I want you to pretend that we are playing poker. Here I am shuffling the cards. taking the cards and cutting them in half. All right. Now I want to put the screen down so you can kind of see what I'm doing here. Okay. All right. So here we go. One, two, three, four, five. Okay. We are playing poker. This is my hand right here. This one is your hand. Okay. So I'm lifting up your hand and I'm letting you take a peek at what you got in your hand. Okay. I'm not seeing it, but you can see it. Okay. How, how is it looking? This is your hand and this is what's in my hand. And let's say we're playing cards and this is your final hand and it is your turn to bet. Okay. Now let me just ask you, you're looking at this hand. Hopefully you can read um, poker hands. Is this a good hand? Okay. You're nodding. Yes, that's good. Okay. Now let me ask you, are you confident that your hand is going to beat my hand, okay? Are you confident that this is a good enough hand to beat my hand? Do you think you're going to win in this round? You do think, okay, you do think you're going to win. Okay, good, good. Okay, so here's the question. What do you do? What do you do? Now, I think, let me tell you what you don't do. What you don't do is you don't go, okay, final bet, boom. Here is one chip. Okay, that's, that's not what you do. What do you do? Well, what you do here is you take all of your chips, okay? And you are basically going to push them all in. And for dramatic effect, you're just going to like dump them all in. And you're going to say those two words. You're going to say all in, all right? Now, basically it means I am so confident about my hand. I'm going to put skin in the game. Okay, I'm not just going to tell you how much I believe in my hand. I'm going to show you. I'm going to actually push that everything I got and say all in. That is what faith requires. It calls you to put skin in the game and actually to take risks and actually to give in your life to the point of sacrifice. Okay, now let me give you let me give you an example. Um, I have a, a friend who um, once she um, received her stimulus check, she shared with me a fantastic idea. She said, you know, um, Andrew, I talked to my husband and uh, we decided that since we, um, I mean, we're we're suffering a little bit, but not like other people. So we've decided we're going to give the entire stimulus check away. Okay, now I was so inspired, kind of spurred on by their example. So I I talked to my family and my family's like, hey, let's do it too. Okay, so 
So, and then I shared that with my friend. Okay, we're going to give the whole stimulus check away. So, so then something happened, which is that um, um, I, I received the stimulus check in the mail. And it was more than I thought it was going to be. It was, it was almost like $4,000. And suddenly I experienced something that I wasn't expecting to experience. I didn't want to give it away anymore. Um, partly it's like I, I have this iPhone 7 and it's always running out of batteries on, on me. And I'm like, you know, I could use the stimulus check and buy an iPhone 11 and I could do that and not tell my friend, you know? And so I'm not kidding you with you. I had to wrestle with my faith. I, I had to actually go, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do I really believe? I mean, the Bible tells me that I can take the stimulus check and use money and trade it in a sense for heavenly treasure that I can enjoy for all of eternity, okay? Do I really believe that? Do I really believe that I can use this money to help those who are really suffering during this time? And I had to go, wait a second, wait a second, what do I really believe? And so um, church family, like we, we decided to give the money away you know, after I, I bought my new iPhone 11. No, I'm, I'm joking. Um, my family had so much joy thinking about um, who to give the money to and how to give it away. We had so much joy. Like my son wants to use his portion of the money to fight racial injustice. And so we did a little bit of education about bail bonds and, and, and certain ministries that are really um, fighting you know, racial injustice. And then my, my daughter wanted to use the money to feed the hungry at City Team because they have a homeless ministry. And so it was awesome. It was, it was joyful. It was fun. Now, now listen, some people, when it comes to giving their life away, investing time and resources, some people want to play it safe. Um, you know, I think the voice goes like, hey, don't get crazy. Spend your life on yourself and, you know, give, give the surplus away. Play it safe. Now, I think... We need to talk to that voice that's inside us. And I think we need to say something like, really play it safe? We, we have one life to live. And then we, we get received into eternity. And, and so everything in this life is going to impact the next, which is for eternity. And, and you want to play it safe? I mean, like, isn't there a part inside you and inside me? It's like, I don't want to play it safe. I don't want to hold anything back. I want to live like I believe in an all-powerful God, infinitely wise, completely trustworthy, eternal God. So why would I hold anything back? I want to live life willing to give up everything for his glory. I, I want to, in a sense, take all of my chips, push them in, and just with so much confidence in what we have in God and say, with all my life, I am all in. Um, please pray with me. Father God, Jesus Christ on the cross said he is all in. And in faith, he sacrificed himself 
to pay for the penalty of our sins. I thank you for his example. I thank you that he showed us the way to life. And so out of great gratitude, out of just believing that this one life is all we got, and then there is eternity, and what we do now impacts all of eternity, help us to leverage it all and say, Lord, for your glory, we are all in. Have all of me, have all of me for the glory of Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.